Welcome to another Victory Monday edition of the Hidden Yardage Podcast. Cowboys guard Zach Martin may be thrilled that the team got off a little bit early today. Quick moving game from AT&T Stadium as the Cowboys defeat the Lions 24-6 in Week 7. But we're still here for you on the Blogging the Boys Podcast Network. You've heard, of course, by now our daily podcast with Justin Navarez. You've heard the crew were first and 10. And this is Son Martin back with you at... Sean Martin NFL on Twitter, where you can always join the conversation. Mark Lane is once again out this week, but I will continue to extend my thank yous to everybody out there in Cowboys Nation who I still see, um, you know, continuing to support Mark in any way that they can. And of course, we are doing the same here at BTB. So with that, for the second week in a row, we have LP Cruz, one of our staffers who you see on the front page of our website and on our Tuesday Evening roundtables back with us to talk about this win. It gets the Cowboys to 5-2. and two. Next up, another NFC North opponent with the Bears. So before we look ahead to that, plenty to talk about with what happened against the Lions. And that's what LP is for is and is with us here today. So LP, welcome back on. Uh, thanks for having me. Much better after a win, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, we came on after the Bengals game, which is, of course, the first win of the season. And it was... You know, even more of a surprise because that was the first game with Cooper Rush at quarterback. And the, I think the biggest talking point that show, at least from my end, was how the offense looked similar enough to where, you know, you could see the intention with Kellen Moore was still to run for Cooper Rush at the time. The same types of plays that he wanted to run and be successful with with Dak Prescott. And yet, you know, Russ was still able to execute them at a high enough level, not only, of course, in that Bengals game, so we could come on after a win for the first time in, you know, 30-something episodes of this running hidden yarded show, but in the four wins in total that Cooper Russ was able to get. And so I think that set the expectations pretty high for Prescott's return in terms of, you know, him needing to continue to take this offense to that next step, considering it wasn't a completely different look with Russ. It was the sage of what we expected to see with Prescott the whole time under Russ. And now it was like, okay, every throw that Russ missed, you can just circle and say, oh, but Prescott's going to hit that one. And Dak is going to hit that one too. And he's going to run out of the pocket every time Terrence Steele or Tyler Smith gets beat so that, you know, the play can be extended and it's not a sack. And for the most part, he did that, of course. And he threw his first touchdown of the year late into the fourth quarter to a bit of an unexpected target, of course. And, Peyton Hendershot, and I thought he went through his reads well and, you know, gave his receivers a chance on some balls that got dropped, including on that first series to Noah Brown. But then there were throws as well that he'd like to have back, throwing into triple coverage at times. And like I said, not being able to avoid those sacks as both Steele and Smith got beat by Lions first round pick, Aiden Hutchinson. But a familiar game plan to get to five and two. The offense does just enough. Defense really locks it down. They force five turnovers in total. Yeah, and the formula is there. The The blueprint is definitely there every single week that you see. You know what they intend to do is to run the ball and then suffocate and bludgeon the opponent with their defense. Uh, from Dak Prescott's perspective, I think what you saw is, at least for me, in my perspective, they were able to kind of balance aggression versus conservatism in both ways. So with Dak Prescott, it's – I mean, I'm sure you have like your family that you guys have a meal that you cook. For example, I got two uh, sisters. They both make similar meals. One adds a little bit more seasoning to their meal versus the other. But you understand that 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 other meal you're getting, the other mac and cheese you're getting, it tastes a little bit different. And that's Dak Prescott. He can give you 
both ingredients of the other meal, but he can give you that extra seasoning that you need to get yourself going along. And I think that's what Dak Prescott does. He's He allows you to measure risk versus awards so well. Um, for me, a prime example of this was, yeah, he's a bit overly aggressive. Some of that is his, his nerves maybe, but that's also part of who he is as a quarterback. He wants to risk those throws for that big-time reward. But then I think it was one sequence in the game where, uh, if I recall correctly, they're they're up ten to six after the pick by Jordan Lewis, and they could steal the game away with a touchdown. So you had a penalty on Tyler Smith, of course, covering eight, you know blocking Aiden Hutchinson, uh, first and twenty. Instead of pressing that issue or forcing the issue, what he does is he calmly takes the short throw to Noah Brown for ten yards, then right back on second and ten takes another short throw to Noah Brown for a first down, and then three plays later, touchdown. So. What I like what he did was he kind of found himself, got calm and collected. As you said before, he read his reads properly. He read the field. He scanned the field, found Peyton Hendershot for a touchdown. And you can see it in the broadcast. He went one, two, three. Good football. That's good quarterbacking. That's what you want from Dak Prescott. So we talked last week about how with this offense, you know, maybe it was somewhat of a blessing in disguise for Kellen Moore those first couple of weeks, you know, having to navigate with Cooper Rust. Not only did that, kind of build up some, you know, some personal credit with the Cowboys fan base to the point where, you know, the season wasn't lost in those couple of weeks, where that certainly could have been the case. There were still plenty of teams out there that, you know, when reduced to the backup quarterback would feel like the season is over. But the, And the Cowboys used to historically always be one of those teams. You know, Mark could tell you going all the way back, you know, some of the net backups that the Cowboys have had. Russ has certainly proven that he's not one of them. And when he's called on, there's certainly a job that he can get done. But we talked last week about how it shortened up, you know, the window that this offense now needs to be at its peak for. And even yet, there were Cowboys fans expecting this to already be the peak. They were expecting, you know, the Lions to be the team that Prescott would just go out and completely dominate. They were falling for maybe some of the clickbait that came out before the game with ESPN saying that, you know, Prescott personally chose this game to come back as if there was any doubt that if he could have gone against the Eagles, he would have waited another week. You know, Prescott even was warming up on the field before that Eagles game. So if he could have played then, that would have been a season debut. And maybe that game goes a whole lot differently in Philadelphia last week. But nonetheless, it wasn't perfect for him. Here against the Lions, it was a similar, you know, puts us right back in a similar type of style that we should be familiar with from last year. And it wasn't, you know, the most efficient way to win last year. And it certainly didn't get them a playoff win. We all understand that. But, you know, there were plenty of times we sat here post-game last year saying, the offense is supposed to be carrying this team. Look at these big names they have. Look at where the salary cap is. Mari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb, all on the same offense. With Ezekiel Elliott and Prescott in the offense line. Like, why aren't they holding up their end of the deal to the point where this defense is carrying us? And that's great. And that's awesome. awesome and we all love Mika Parsons and Dan Quinn. But the offense, you know, simply just needs to do more because of those names that I just mentioned. And yet it wasn't happening. And through one game now, one win, and a full game with Prescott, I feel like we're right back to that same discussion where, you know, we already have to question Kellen Moore in terms of is he going to continue to progress in this offense now that he had a couple of weeks where he didn't have Prescott, and he, and what is those next steps that the offense is going to take, knowing that the defense now can carry you. It's not like a surprise anymore that Dan Quinn's defense is very, very good. They held the Lions to 
you know, a turnover in every single one of their fourth quarter possessions. They started the third quarter flipping the field with the Trayvon Diggs interception. So this defense has certainly proven from the go, you know, against Tom Brady there in week one, that they can win you games single-handedly. It's just a matter of the same discussion we had for weeks on weeks last year. Can the offense hold up its end of the sale and, you know, not kind of go stale in a way and develop and, it's hard to say they're going to go stale when we've only seen one four-quarter effort from Prescott. But it was four quarters of a lot of you know familiar-type throws and a lot of throws into coverage that were forced and some run tendencies that I think we've all been frustrated with by more. So where does the offense kind of go from here, knowing that it's a more optimistic outlook since you have space ahead of Prescott to get a whole lot better? So now I do like what Prescott did as far as finding his way and finding himself. That said, as you mentioned, a lot of those same things that were a problem last year that see, and this is where the Cowboy fan base is much smarter than people realize. The Cowboys fan base saw this too. And some of them, myself included, we went for the, okay, they're going through a rut. They're going to figure it out. They're going to figure it out. They never got it figured out because you played the game against Arizona last year. Those same problems came out against the Niners. The one thing that I've noticed with this team the one big problem that I know with this team is penalties seem to find their way back into this team. Somehow, some way, they make enough mistakes, enough errors with penalties to impact their offensive output. Happens all the time. And I said this on Twitter. And, I mean, I'm sure, it's, you know. But I said to myself, I put it on Twitter, I said, this team, the Cowboys, they play with their food a whole lot because the Lions are right there for the taking. You could have put this team away much sooner if you wanted to, but they, the offense makes so many little mistakes over the course of the game, not being able to capitalize on prime real estate inside the red zone. You have a fumble by Noah Brown inside the red zone. You then have the mistake where you get a huge return from Kamonte Turpin. You get a punt on, and again, this goes back to Kellen Moore too, but third and two, third and two, we have a drop back pass and Terrence still gets beat for a sack. Now you're at a field goal range. This team makes a lot of mistakes that they shouldn't make in a more veteran team, a more well, let's be honest, a well, better well-coached team doesn't make those kind of mistakes at those points in the game. And it's not just the defense anymore because before it's, oh yeah, the defense is doing all the heavy lifting, the offense is leaving them short. It's not them anymore because now it's the other phase too that's stepping in as a helper. Now you have the kicking game is very consistent. Now you have the punting game is consistent and you have a returner that's consistent. So you guys, on your end, you've got to hold up the bargain here. You can't keep leaving us hanging like this. This is not going to work. It's a lot of inferior opponents right now, like, like Detroit, like you said, Chicago next week. But when you keep doing this and you keep making these same mistakes, it's not going to work out against, say, the Eagles, maybe the Giants. you got to get consistent with the mistakes as far as the penalties. you got to stop forcing throws to Dak Prescott. I know you're trying to get settled in, but you can't keep forcing these throws. And then you, what you also have to do, if you're Kellen Moore, Make up your mind. Just make up your mind. If you got a third and one, it's an easy third and one. Zeke Elliott is your fullback. Give the ball to the up back. Fall forward for the first down. Keep going. We had one play where he got too cute on the outside. He goes to pitch the ball outside of Pollard, who's tackled for a loss on third and one or, or whatever it was. Just do what you do. Do what you do. If you have that right side of your offensive line, that includes Terrence Steele and Zach Martin. They're getting great push in the running game. Let those big guys work. Let them do what they have to do. Get that first down, and you play for more downs. But this whole thing of being too cute and trying to overthink the situation, 
Kellen Moore. I think he has to understand what's going on around him. It's too much around him. And if it takes Mike McCarthy stepping in to help out, by all means. But you have a top-tier defense, a great special teams unit, a quarterback who's now healthy. Just make it easy. Make it easy. Don't make the mistakes. And stop leaving food on the table because this team cannot do that anymore on offense. So let's put it in context this way. You know, you mentioned even McCarthy, which was a talking point. Last year when it was all discussed as far as week after week, Kevin Moore going through some of those inefficiencies on, on the offense that you highlighted. And it got to the point where it's like, hey, if McCarthy is going to be this veteran coach who has a track record of working with these great quarterbacks and all that, you know, why isn't he stepping in more to help a young coordinator? We know when he got hired, you know, there were certain things to be agreed upon with the next head coach that Cowboys ownership wanted to hear. And one of those things at the time when Moore was still more, you know, unproven was that, you know, a coach was going to let this offense basically be to Kellen Moore so. And even to date, you know, we don't have any indication that's not, including what happened on Sunday against the Lions. They put up the 24 points. So, you know, put it in context this way, the Cowboys, average Cowboys fan listening to us, you know, trying to talk with his coworkers about this team, you know, where should they be on this coaching staff right now? I think, you know, you're standing around the water cooler. You're going to hear fans saying everything from, oh, the first, you know, I give them no credit for the first couple of weeks. The fact that McCarthy and Moore, you know, won those games, it doesn't mean anything. It was the defense. It was Quinn. It was inferior opponents. And then you're going to get the pushback on the other side saying, no, those games did mean something. They It did prove to, some, to whatever extent that they've turned a corner a little bit. Those are games that they've always lost in the years past. They've learned from them. They're going to get better. And now with full strength with Prescott, they're 1-0 with a whole lot of room to improve, You know, which is certainly exciting when you're one of the only plus 500 teams in the NFL right now. It's not a bad place to be, 5-2. and two. We'll get into more of that a bit later. But where should fans be on the coaching staff uh, specifically as it pertains to you know, what they did on Sunday here against the Lions? I think with the coaching staff, you still and fans should be more than likely very positive about them because you can't take away from Mike McCarthy. You cannot take away that they're four and one with Cooper Rush. That you can't take that away, no matter what you say about that. You understand that Cooper Rush is a limited quarterback. You know this is a great defense coached by a great defensive coordinator. And a lot of the praise that goes to the coaching staff, let's be honest here, it's showered upon Dan Quinn. Who deserves all the praise that he gets? You watch the broadcast on TV. It's, you know, Dan Quinn's that first guy that should be mentioned for head coaching job. You have a guy that's that well talked about, that well in such high esteem, high regard. It's natural to praise him for all the success, and he's behind it. So the coaching staff, you have to love what they're doing because the coaching staff includes Dan Quinn in that defense. But in, at a very base level, the coaching staff includes a head coach, who, let's be honest, he has a ring himself, who has a ring, and says, hey, I won four games with a backup quarterback, with the, with the team that you thought our season might have been over by losing our quarterback in week one. The only albatross here might be the young offensive coordinator. That might be your only albatross. And even then, even then, he can still say, that guy can still say, I had the number one offense. So if you're a fan of the team, it's it's disappointment in the, in the OC, but you love your, D, your DC. You love him right now. And your head coach deserves your respect because he's kept this team in line. He's kept them focused. And they're actually a very resilient physical team. If you watch them play, they're very resilient. So 
you have to like what the head coach is, is doing and where they're at. I think you should have positive praise and positive um, belief your uh, coaching staff, but albeit somewhat cautious. And this is a point I made, you know, a couple of times when Cooper Rush was still in a quarterback that made it into my postgame notes. since the fact that, you know, his pass catchers and the offense around him certainly wanted to help elevate his play. They all tried to step up to make up for the fact that it wasn't Prescott throwing him the ball. And they did that, but also the defense, you know, helps in that way as well, because, you know, these guys are making these big plays down the field. They feel like any one big catch or any one game breaking run from Tony Pollard or Ezekiel Elliott, this is another great game on Sunday, as far as the compliment of the two Elliott scored, the two short yardage touchdowns, of course, but Powell was on the field for both of them as the kind of the jet motion guy to keep the defense honest. And then you just slam Elliott up the middle and he's run with great power and, and some of that boast that we've seen early in his career this season. And Powell has done some of the same. He, of course, helped set up the, one of those touchdowns with a 28-yard run and a six-yard run back-to-back. And that was the drive going down the field following the Diggs interception. So great complimentary football all around. And that's what I'm saying with the defense also deserving their credit because every catch by C.D. Lamb, every big run by Paul just means so much more this year compared to last because, the, you know, that offense goes back to the sideline knowing that this defense really, you know, they are they're at the point where they are bothered when they give up anything like that. And that is the mindset of an elite defense. You know, they are legitimately surprised when big plays are made against them. And I know you want to talk about, you know, how that might be sifting a bit as far as what Dan Quinn's going to have to do with the secondary. Getting exposed a little bit in this game, Jaron Kirsch was beat by Lions tight end TJ Hawkinson, who's a favorite target of Jared Goff, of course, this year, for some big plays. None that, you know, really hurt them as far as the game script or the course of this game. But Cowboys secondary certainly gave up some plays, but they were surprised when they give up enough plays that, you know, the offense that they're going against can string together a scoring drive or that they can't just dial up a presser and have Parsons, you know, virtually end a drive with a sack or DeMarcus Lawrence, Dorrance Armstrong, all of these things that have been working so well for the defense. But if there was a weak spot today, it might have been in the secondary. They didn't dial up as many blitzes, so maybe they were just trying to sit back in the secondary and force Jared Goff to take the easy completions but consistently beat them down the field, which is not something he's known for and not something he did. But at the end of the game, you did lose a veteran cornerback, Jordan Lewis, to a foot injury that could seem pretty serious at the moment. The Cowboys are seem to be considering surgery for that, so that could mean more of rookie cornerback Deron Bland, who has already seen some time and played well this season, but certainly hasn't stepped into a full-time starting role like the one that the Cowboys may have open if Lewis is going to miss a couple weeks or more here. Um, yeah, and before we move on, though, I just – here at the kind of spur of the moment, I, I did want to think about something and talk about something really briefly on the offensive side. And that is with Dak Prescott back, what becomes of Michael Gallup? I, I don't think he was targeted today. Is that right? If if he was, it was like a throwaway, out of bounds type of type of play. It doesn't yeah, it does not appear he showed up in the stat seat for a target though. Oh, two targets. My apologies. Yeah, so officially two targets, but no catches, no yards, uh, anything like that. For me, the element of the offense that I want to see come back is the vertical threat. You have Dak Prescott. There should be a vertical element there that I haven't seen and the fans haven't seen for some time. There has to be something vertical with this offense, and I think that's where we're kind of missing something. I'd like to see more explosive plays. I love that they're working this offense from the short game, the intermediate plays with your tight ends. These two tight ends now that you have 
in addition to Dalton Schultz is a good starting point, C.D. Lamb. But for Michael Gallup, I want to see him to be more involved in the offense, whether that's in, in the intermediate game or in a long passing game. I just kind of need to see that more. But that's just my random thought of the day, just thinking about this offense and their potency or lack thereof is to get more physical plays down the field. But yeah, the, uh, the thing that might take more time with Gallup is, you know, I talked all offseason about him being kind of the guy who makes those unscripted plays. And now with what they were going into the year with at receiver, you know, he needs to be more of a scripted into the offense. So it's not already injury that he's still overcoming. I still don't think that's a hundred percent, but you know, it's the fact that he's learning how to be a primary read type of receiver, how to stay within the structure of this offense as opposed to, you know, oh, Prescott scrambling out of the pocket with a pass rusher bearing down on him. That's when Gallup knows the ball is coming his way, and that's kind of when he's spinning his best. But those are the things you can't account for. You know, they're still looking for who's going to be that guy, and Peyton Hendershot and Jake Focus, there might be the answer there. Is, you know, these tight ends are an interesting mix that I want to spend a couple minutes on here, but – you know, Gallup is just learning how to be a more structured part of this offense. So part of that does, again, fall back on Kellen Moore. And, you know, some will come on Gallup himself as he gets healthier, though, to you know make sure his route running and his progressions are where they need to be. Agreed on that one. But let me not uh, Shanghai the train too hard to get back to the defense in the secondary. Um, now, looking at it this way, and I, and I want to kind of keep the glass half full yet half empty at the same time is the secondary in this game. Once Detroit lost Amon Ross St. Brown early in the game, they had to find other ways to manufacture offense in their passing game, and they knew it because now there's no St. Brown, there's no DeAndre Swift, there's no DJ Chark. They had to find other guys to step in, and the only thing they could count on hang their hats on was TJ Hawkinson for the most part. Um but that said, as you you know mentioned before, with Jaron Curse didn't have his best game. He was playing out in space, and they actually made him motion out wide in space, which he gave up a lot of yards to Hawkinson, out routes across the middle. They had the kind of the, their best options to go against Jaron Curse. Um, so that's you know that's what it is. Uh, I don't think he's been as great as last season. Um, Donovan Wilson has played his part pretty well in his absence, and maybe he's still finding himself from from the uh, the knee injury. But Anthony Brown today, I thought he had one of his worst games that I, I remember him having in a long time. Not not the game like last year versus uh, the Raiders or the, or the Buccaneers, but I felt like today he allowed way too soft coverage, way too many times of soft coverage, giving just letting Goff have it, essentially, dropping back way too far back. There were a couple of plays also at the end of the, the second quarter where Dallas uh, turned the ball over with Noah Brown. They could have gotten the ball back if they wanted to, and they had a play on the outside in which, and again, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but they had a play on the outside in which he just didn't keep contain on the on the runner. Let him go right around him, miss a tackle in space, and all of a sudden they're off to the races. It's just, I think he, he had a really poor game as far as tackling, and I think they were tested at the perimeter in the running game, and he fell short along the passing game. And how many of those big plays against Brown, you know, can be credited to a result of teams finally realizing that they need to throw away from Trayvon Diggs, who had a big throw down pass breakup, had, of course, the interception that had Jim Nance and Tony Romo talking for the entirety of the ensuing Cowboys drive about how they felt like it probably wasn't an interception, but the play never was even reviewed or, you know, came under question. Dan Campbell in Detroit offered a bye week, did not challenge on that play. So, 
it was a kind of a weird moment in the CBS broadcast at that point, but nonetheless, the Cowboys go down the field following a Diggs interception, interception. They're used to, of course, putting their defense on the field first when they win the coin toss, but here in Prescott's return, they wanted to see him right away in front of the home crowd, so they started with the ball in the first half and went three and out, and they started virtually in the second half with the ball as well just because of the Diggs interception and the only Detroit drive in the second half that didn't end in a in a turnover also ended in a punt with a net of 25 yards. So not enough good things to say once again about Dan Quinn's defense. It started up front though, you know, despite the issues in the secondary, how much can this defensive line continue to mask any issues that may be ongoing there as rookie Sam Williams really had a bit of a breakout. Of course, the forced fumble on the sack and the recovery as part of that fourth quarter turnover streak for the Cowboys. So both Sam Williams and I thought Dante Fowler and Dorrance Armstrong, of course, all got in on the action. As you saw, Parsons kind of be used in a, I don't want to say reserved role, but more specialist role as a pass rusher. You know, he's been battling a bit of some nagging injury things. And we know the Cowboys are big about the GPS tracking data for how much their players are being worked on the field and in practice. So, you know, trying to find an opportunity to, Vest Parsons just a little bit in the game where you felt like things were under control without him, but you saw him always run out on the field on those big throw downs and his pass rush is where it needed to be, along with the rest of this defensive line, which has really shown that they can take over games leading the NFL in sacks. And I think it speaks to it a lot of things about this defense. And it's funny because now everything kind of is in orbit and surrounds your defense. And it wasn't like that, you know. Even it's funny because you had Tony on the broadcast, but even when Tony was playing, it was never like that. It was all about the offense. The offense was, you know, the alpha of the team essentially. Um, but even Diggs's pick, it's it's funny because even the officials are so sure about Diggs's hands, they're not going to bother. He's so it's, he's so good. It's like ah, you know, he caught it. It's Diggs. Like he's that talented as a pass catcher. Forget a cornerback. Forget a receiver. Just catching the ball. He's just so skilled and adept with his hands that you don't even bother to challenge it. So not only did, I mean, of course, they, they challenged those based on the ruling, but they didn't even bother to look at it. That, that's, that's really impressive. But with this defense, though, it, it's, just, it's all encompassing. It's all encompassing and it's complementary football. And the formula for Dallas has been playing with the lead, right? It, it's to play with the lead and let your defense choke these teams out. Do you know how big it was that Michael Parsons chased that guy down? I think it's right, Brock Wright. Chased him down, tackled him before the end zone, and then, then he, uh, Jamal Williams fumbles the ball at the one-yard line, and they recover. That's a huge play in the game because if they score on that play, now you have all the pressure on Dak Prescott playing from behind in that situation, and it changes the entire complexion of the game. So for them to be able to pull that off in that scenario, in that situation, this defense really is saving this team. They're setting this team up for great field position, and they're making up for a lot of mistakes on this offense. So this, this defense, I mean, it, they're just incredible. They're, they're an incredible defense. And I, I don't think I've been able to say that about a Cowboys defense. And I'm in my 30s now, maybe my entire lifetime. Because I'm, a, I'm a fairly, you know, I was a fairly young fan back then, but I'm like, I don't remember them being this dominant on defense. It's very impressive. It's just funny how quickly things change. Because if they won this exact type of game last year, which they did at times, I mean, we, we've seen the script play out. But last year, 
I wasn't a part of blogging the boys yet, but if we were doing this show after a similar type of win last year, it would have been way more doom and gloom. We were all still talking about this team as, you know, they weren't winning the quote unquote right way. Like I said, all the salary cap was on the offense. So why weren't those guys holding their weight? It wasn't sustainable. It wasn't, you know, in the game plan. It was Kevin Moore needing to go. All these things were the talking points directly after games like this last year. And now it's how quickly, just because of Quinn and Parsons in the defense, this is expected. And it's like, oh, of course the defense is going to dominate. It's what they do now. So, you know, they've adjusted quickly, be at the offense. I think showed enough in this game, even already in Prescott's first full action back, where they can avoid the issue they had last year. They cannot, you know, be predictable and get figured out. There's still an element of, you know, predictability, of course, and just Kellen Moore's scheme. I think that's not going anywhere, but, you know, I really do think you saw Prescott going through his reads more from a clean pocket than he almost he ever has at times, which bodes well for, you know, a defense having to cover for longer. They have to account for Tony Pollard as the check down. They have to account for all these tight ends who they don't even know about going into the week because, you know, they're not established when it comes to guys like Peyton Hendershot and Jake Ferguson. And of course, even Dalton Schultz, the franchise tag tight end, playing for injury once again, but his stats were boosted again by having Prescott in the lineup in week one when Dak was playing. Of course, Dalton Schultz had seven catches for 62 yards. In the three games he played with Cooper Russ, a quarterback, missing one due to injury completely. But in three games with Cooper Russ, Dalton Schultz only had two catches over that stretch. And then right back with Prescott against the Lions, Schultz had the five catches for 49 yards. And then Henderson had the touchdown. So I think the tight end spot is what you look at the most as far as where Kellen Moore needs to go to make sure this offense doesn't get stale. And this offense, you know, continues to have options. You look at those tight ends being able to sell running plays, being able to block in line as well. I know Saltz missed a third down block that took your offense off the field on the second drive, but still has improved enough as a blocker where you want him on the field because of his receiving threat. Same goes for Henderson and Ferguson, and they can sell those play action arcs and Prescott's mobility. There's just so much you can do with these tight ends, and of course we still expect you know guys like CDLM and Noah Brown to go make those plays down the field when they're not being asked to catch the ball in triple coverage. I don't think that's something we're going to see too much more from uh, from Prescott. So, yeah, they won with defense again, but you know, I think the offense is right there in terms of they're going to continue to take steps and the Bears could be the right opponent where you get the type of breakout that we were expecting maybe this week a bit prematurely. So, uh, I know you mentioned this, Sean. So, we're both fairly new to BTB and blogging the boys, you and I. And we're kind of like me for myself, speaking for myself here to the audience. Uh, I'm still finding my way of learning you guys, you know, as writers, as a staff, all as one team here at BTB. Um, so I have to ask you this question, right? Just kind of getting to know you a little bit. Are you the kind of guy that's hard on the front office or do you kind of let things play out? Or are you very effusive and praising the front office? Just to get a gauge so I understand before I ask you my next question. Yeah, I'd say I'd like to, you know, I try to let things play out. You know, we try to just be honest about their things. I'm not, you know, jumping on to cross them. But, you know, I, in the context of that, though, I think I mentioned, uh, you know, one time, I don't know, I don't always notice my articles have a more positive or negative spin during the off season, but I must have had a stretch of a couple of negative ones in a row. And I finally wrote one of a positive spin, I guess, and our editor, uh, Dave Halpin, who does amazing work, just, you know, making our stuff look as good as it can before it goes on the site. So, Dave shot me a message before posting 
whatever article it was, just saying, well, I'm stunned you wrote something positive for once. So I guess it just goes with whatever the fans were saying at the time. But yeah, certainly it's hard to just look at things, uh, you know, like all of us as objectively and as clear headed as we can. Which is, which is the right thing to do. And shout out to you, Dave, by the way. Always clean up my, my mess. Appreciate you, Dave. Oh, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> so, so I have to say this, though, right? Is if we're going to be on the straight and narrow, we're going to all be as one community of Cowboys fans and acknowledge what the right thing is to acknowledge and say the front office deserves a lot of our praise because if you look at how they have kind of shaped this roster where, where they are right now, um, they've changed kind of philosophies here, right? Like when they made these moves in the offseason to jettison a Lyle Collins, to jettison a Amari Cooper and not replace them with any major additions outside of that, it was seen with a lot of scorn, a lot of criticism, a lot of critique. But lo and behold, their process has worked out. So now having to rely on more Noah Brown, having to see the improvement of a Terrence Steele, and going back to your identity of running the football to kind of balance the game with your defense carrying the heavy load. It's worked out. And a lot of the finances are still tied to the offensive groupings. And I get all that. And that's that's not what we expect from them. But their process has played out. And this changing of the guard to leading with your defense, it's a new thing. And for us as Cowboys fans, going back to the last, what, 15 years with Romo, now to Dak Prescott, it's a different outlook of you have to count on your defense to win ball games, but for Dak Prescott in particular, with the, the weapon not of what we think are explosive, and I talked about this with Gallup, who so not getting you know getting down the field yet, but having to work the intermediate the intermediate stuff, it tells you. And I don't care what the word is, I don't care what the stigma is, I don't care about because it's about the contract with Dak Prescott too. I don't care what you think about Dak Prescott as far as his money his stats, his numbers, his style of play. He's being asked right now to manage the football game. And for some people, it's an ugly word of being a game manager. With the weapons you have, you have to manage the game properly based on your philosophies and your defense. And that's okay with me. I'm not bothered by that. If Dak has 225 for a touchdown, no picks, versus 450, three touchdowns, a sack, and a fumble because he had to, at this point, I don't care. The, the ink is dry. The money is dry. The team made their move. They made their choice, and it's working out. So at this point, style of points don't matter. Just win the fight, whether it's on the scorecard, by knockout, split decision, I don't care. Just win the fight. And they got into a fight today, and they won decisively on their defense, which is okay. It's totally fine with me. Got in a fight with a team that, you know, talked in the offseason, Dan Campbell did, head coach of the Lions, about wanting to beat a team that would bite at people's kneecaps and come up and win these types of heavyweight fights. And, you know, again, the Lions are off a bye. That's always a, an extra challenge that I think fans don't appreciate in terms of being schemed against. And they had a chance to look at the tape against the Eagles, where the Eagles, you know, did some read ops and things against Mika Parsons. That, w- that was new. And the Cowboys were able to counteract that by, again, using Parsons in a more specialized pass rush role. So looking ahead in the NFC East, you know, I think you make a great point about Prescott playing as kind of that game manager type of quarterback. And he even said post game, he was looking forward to, you know, in a joking matter almost, he was looking forward to potentially not throwing a touchdown in this game, but still getting the win just because of how happy he is that, you know, the team is finding so many different ways to win. Of course, the last couple of weeks without him, even on the field entirely. And now in this game with him, you know, doing just enough on the offense, 
as a defense held the Lions to just the six points. So maybe that breakout game is coming against the Bears. The Cowboys get the five and two, and next week they host the Bears. Eagles still atop this division, no change in their record. They were on a bye this week, and they are still six and zero. Their next game is with the in-state Pittsburgh Steelers, who at the time of this recording are still on action against the Miami Dolphins. So we'll see what the Steelers' outlook is coming into that game at Philadelphia. The Giants win at the one-yard line against the. Jacksonville Jaguars, they make a stop defensively for Brian Dable's team to continue to show new ways to win, to continue to be one of the league's biggest surprises. So their next game is at another surprising team, the Seattle Seahawks, who went into the Chargers on Sunday and won. So the 6-1 and Giants in second place beat the Jaguars and travel to the Seahawks. Cowboys, of course, 5-2 and against the Bears. And the Washington Commanders, Carson Wentz gets hurt at the point in the in their schedule where the, he's not going to be able to play against his former teams, the Colts, the Eagles, all those headlines go away. But what does Taylor Heineke do? What he usually does best just steps in and gives that team a chance one way or another. They rallied around Taylor Heineke once more. The commanders get the three and four by beating in a surprise the Green Bay Packers at home. So their next game is at the Indianapolis Colts who lost to the Titans on Sunday. Point being through all of this, though, again, 6-0, 6-1, 5-2, 3-4, 3-4, your records for the NFC East is that Cowboys fans should be thrilled with 5-2. This is the only division in football who had this, who saw this coming with three teams above 500. And as of Sunday right now, there are 16 teams in the NFL for a losing record. And we could have as many as 18 after this week because this, this show is, of course, coming out before we know the result of Monday Night Football. But the host team, the Patriots in that game, they are 500 going into it, so if they lose to the Chicago Bears, next week's Cowboys opponent, then they would be under 500 and add to that total. And of course, the Dolphins and Steelers game will be decided when our listeners get to this, but not at the moment of this recording. So the Dolphins could fall below 500 as well to make this point. So we could have a lot of, we've seen a lot of bad football, and it's time to start separating in a couple of weeks here the teams that are legitimately bad, the teams that you know, aren't going to turn it around and the teams that can, and the good teams do this every year, which is nothing new. It's just a matter of the new schedule and things are still adjusting and preseason was way down this year in terms of participation from starters. But the gr- truly great teams use the beginning of the year, the first however many weeks you want to call it, but it's probably right around now as, you know, a de facto of preseason, as their way to work out what they're going to be late in the year, where the games truly mean the most. It's exactly what the Cowboys didn't do a year ago. Those late season games, you know, were proving week in, week in and week out that they were stumbling going into the playoffs. And that's exactly what happened against the 49ers. They stumbled and they lost that home wild card game. This year, of course, we want to see them playing their best football going into the playoffs, which is a long way from now. So at this point, they're still in that phase where they're figuring it out. And if they continue to win, they'll be able to separate from these other teams who are just trying to prove that they're even relevant or, you know, can even get to 500 or worse. But the Cowboys trying to show that, you know, they're just building this thing up the right way for a potential playoff run with a lot of room to grow now as Prescott gets reacclimated into the offense. And right now, I think uh, it's, a, it's a lot of, uh, this was uh, the BCS. The East right now has a lot of tune-up games against Austin PA and, and Fordham. And it's, it's a lot of games where you play games where, it's not challenging opponents. And I was talking to a buddy of mine today, a Giants fan. 
And I told him, I said, I'm not surprised if this division has three teams with 10 wins. We have a 17-game schedule. I wouldn't be shocked if you have teams, that, three, three teams, that being the Giants, that being the Eagles, the Cowboys, they all win 10 games. I wouldn't be stunned because the schedule has panned out for us. Like the East is always like, like the joke people laugh about. Oh, it's the NFC least. Ha, ha, ha. Well, guess what? We're playing the NFC North, the AFC South. So we get Houston, the Colts, Tennessee. Um, those teams aren't very good. Jacksonville's not very good. And then you get to play Detroit, who's not very good. The Packers are really not very good, uh, shockingly. Uh, Minnesota might be the cream of the crop in that respect. But other than that, you're going to have these games kind of fall into your lap. It's still early, though. Even though we're sitting here and it's uh, at, for, for the Cowboys right now, sitting at 5-2, and two, it's still very, very early. Now, in about a couple weeks, by week 10, then I can start looking at this shaping up. And I used to have a saying, because um, you know how, Sean, every team plays kind of the same teams on our schedule. So, like, you know, we're going to play the same teams. The Eagles will play the same teams. The Giants will play the same teams. There's a point in the season where it's that whole henchman thing where you work for us now. Where teams like that we've beaten already, like Detroit, hey, Detroit, you work for us now. We've beaten you. So guess what? Go beat our opponents for us. Go beat our, our rivals for us. Detroit, go out there, beat the Giants for us. Go out there, beat the Commanders for us. So what the Cowboys have to do is just to keep winning. But I, I love that this part where you're kind of you're kind of inching your way, finding your way, and you're know, happening to win ball games. But at the same time, the teams that you've beaten already kind of do you the favor twofold go beat the eagles for me go beat the giants for me do me a solid here so i i think it's still early to tell who really is going to kind of cement themselves because is it is it a real thing that we're seeing right now with let's say a team like the vikings is that for real are the packers really that down bad this year are the bucks this bad honestly you know and we lost them week one they've gone in a completely different direction from week one getting basically blanked by the panthers that are stripped down. Uh, the Rams aren't very good either. So it's it's just it's telling what all these teams actually are. I I can't fathom a scenario in which that they don't make the playoffs. If you tell me right now that Stafford, Brady, and Rodgers are under five hundred and may, may not make the playoffs, I can't believe you. That's why I think it's still too early to tell. Um, I'm, I'm happy about it. Believe me, I'm, I'm happy to see those teams suck. But we got to kind of see how this plays out. I'm still, I'm on the fence. I'm excited, but a little on the fence. Yeah, the outlook suddenly for the Cowboys-Packers game. Mike McCarthy's return to Lambeau Field with the America's Game of the Week. Fox kickoff 325 has certainly changed already just based on the Packers' loss on Sunday to the Commanders and the fact that they play the Bills in Buffalo next week. So, you know, that game is taking on a whole new outlook. And when you pair it with the fact that the Bears are the opponent before that for the Cowboys and then the Vikings... After that, you know, things are favorable for a 5-2 and two team in Dallas right now, despite playing in what nobody saw as the best division in football. But that's exactly what the NFC East has been right now. You can follow LP Cruz on Twitter at SDQ Flight Crew. Great content, as always, from our entire Blogging the Boys staff on there. So, LP, let our listeners know what they can expect on the front page of bloggingtheboys.com from you this week. Yeah, most definitely. Hoping tomorrow release my five stars of the game. We've talked about one of them, uh, that being Sam Williams tonight on the show. Uh, another guy, you know, who has some sticky fingers. You guys can guess who that might be, as well as our game ball. So be on the lookout for me on the website, on the front page at Blogging the Boys. Uh, Sean, once again, thanks for having me on, man. A great time talking Cowboys. 
Absolutely. So for LP Cruz, I'm Sean Martin. Follow me on Twitter at SeanMartinNFL. You can follow our normal co-host at the Real Mark Lane. Um, and again, he appreciates all of the well wishes that Cowboys Nation is sending him, and we are looking forward to, in due time, getting him back on the show. But there were things in life, you know, bigger than football at times, and that is why, uh, you know, Mark has not been a part of the show at the moment. But yet, we always have someone at BTB ready to step in and step up. So that's exactly what we have done here, and that is, you know, what you see on our roundtables on Tuesdays, and we are one of three shows that you hear. On Monday. So if you made it to the end here of Hidden Yardage, you've been a part of all of our BTB shows for a Victory Monday. We hope it was a great one out there in Cowboys Nation. Go through your week knowing that the Giants and Eagles have their work cut out to hold off the Cowboys now that Dak Prescott is back in the starting lineup. We'll see him next weekend against the Chicago Bears. And then, as mentioned, it's an outlook for Mike McCarthy's return to Green Bay. So certainly some fun weeks ahead for the Cowboys, and that'll do it for this week's edition of Hidden Yardage.